2: Every goal, every game, everywhere.
1: The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. And you hear me say this every week, but it's true. Every week you can catch the highlights from every Premier League game before anyone else, except for those people who are actually in the ground, simply by downloading the Times app to your smartphone. Also... If you enjoyed the uh, Liverpool Live Show podcast last week, the second half of that show will be released later this week. And uh, I have to tell you, it was myself, it was Tony Evans, uh, Tony Barrett, and Peter Reid. Uh, I'd only met Peter Reed a few times before that. He is incredibly funny. He's got some great stories to tell. Seriously, Cass, you're smiling. He could do a, his own stand-up routine, couldn't he? Yeah, I can remember
2: you hammering him as well. Hammering him as what? Uh, no, just hammering him when he was a manager. I can remember doing a show with you on the podcast. Yeah, and you I, going,
1: I would. Peter Reid style of football and this is a dinosaur and all this. I would much rather have Peter Reid entertaining <laughs> me with stories of Maradona. And his... I was
0: going to say, did he tell you that he presumably told you about um, feeling like a tugboat chasing after Maradona? That's um, He's told me that one a few times and I, I could hear it another 50.
1: It's a fantastic tale that, getting him on Glenn Hoddle, getting him on on Steve McMahon. Anyway, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and and I was able to to, uh, generally understand most of what the uh, three Scousers on the panel were (laughs) saying. In the here and now, we have Julian Lawrence, Tony Cascarino, and down the line, it's Matt Dickinson. So, let's get right into it. Uh, How about some FA Cup action with Manchester City and Wigan? Fortuna.
0: away by Lescott, only as far as MacArthur,
1: who's passed uh, De Bocellis, who didn't make the tackle and it's in for Perch who makes it 2-0 right at the start of this second half and the shock is on now I think I'm going to start with you. The magic of the FA Cup is dead. The romance is gone. Ha ha ha! The League Cup is so much better. Let me quote Ollie K a little more.
0: It needs to be, all it takes is one game like that to um, to make us fall back in love, doesn't it? I mean, look, you know, the cup, you know we've been around this uh, argument a few times. Is that, you know, the, the football landscape changes and and some things grow and expand and dominate, and, and others suffer in that process. And the FA Cup has suffered in a few little ways, but. Um, when you have a game like that it's just blinking fantastic isn't it and um I, I i there's there's a way in which city sort of walked into it um you know when you looked uh, at, 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 at that defense in particular but um it took wigan um, rossler um to, to you know whatever defense city put out that was a fantastic achievement for uh, for for wigan and for rossler who has been admired for a while and i know a few clubs have looked at him i know when derby appointed steve McLaren, he was Second on their list and, and highly rated, and uh, he's he's been proving
1: why. Cass, I think this is this is pretty good. We we have we have Wigan looking to make it uh, two in a row. We have Arsenal looking <laughs> to win their first trophy mm. since since the Middle Ages. We have we have Steve Bruce right yeah. in a in, in a semi final, and, and the the whole City Tigers, and uh, and we have Clough Cloughy, mm. his son, admittedly, but still, are you moderately excited?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, a great weekend. I mean, Sheffield United's performance and a little bit of fear against Charlton in the first half and then suddenly when they did get their noses in front, um, I think Wigan obviously was the outstanding performance and sometimes we've just got to be honest and just go, hey, one team wanted a little bit more and the manager made some changes, okay, left some out, but that takes nothing away from what Wigan did in the game and the way they go about it. And listen, listen, to be honest... Last season's cup final, Wigan were unbelievably good. You know, they beat City fair and square and in a, in a style that wasn't direct. It was about getting the ball down, move it quickly, and they were outstanding that particular game. It wasn't the biggest surprise. Although, obviously, all the bookmakers and all of us in the media felt City sent out their strongest team, which they didn't do, which I'm not quite sure why he wouldn't have.
1: Because um, they were playing Wigan, that's why.
2: Well... Well, then you've got your answer. Home. And, you know, Wigan have been in fine form. And if anyone had watched Wigan under Rosler in the last last few weeks, would have shown that, you know, that they've got something to offer. And they've got a few individuals that can cause you problems. And, uh, hey, they wanted it a bit more. And I thought that was the outstanding difference between the two
1: teams. I'm just imagining myself being Sheikh Mansour. I've thrown bazillions at this team. I've also hired a proper director of football, Chiki Bagiristan. Um, and I've hired Manuel Pellegrini, who by and large has played good football and whatever else. He's gone into the season with Vincent Company, who's fantastic, if a little battle-worn, Mattia Nastasic, who's, what, 21? Mm-hmm. Martin DeMicheli, snuff said, and we'll get back to him in a minute, I'm sure, and freaking Julian Lescott. And, and then you go and you spend $25 million or whatever it was on Jovatic. Do we detect an imbalance here? I mean, should somebody be made to pay for this? And maybe not necessarily the manager, but but maybe the director of football, maybe you should find out. What was your thinking?
3: Yeah, I, th- I think so. There's, there's, there's one thing that they, they seem not able to control is that complacency from those players, which I think has been their Is it complacency or are they priorities? just not that good cool. For the last three years. Yeah, no, no, yeah, no I'm talking years. about
1: the central defender specifically, yeah, I mean, yeah. right? Just to on the, so,
3: I, think, I think they chased Eliakim Mangala, the, the very highly rated French. But in January! But even last summer, and I think they spent far too much time chasing him when he was actually not really sure if he wanted to leave Porto, the release clause was quite high for someone like him with, you know, only 22, not much experience, blah, blah, blah. And I think they waited, waited, and then it was too late. It was too late in January, it was too late last summer, and it's costing them now. That's for sure. And just to finish on the complacency, for for the last three years, before Bergerstein with Mancini, Pellegrini, it's always the same problem. Some of those players don't care when they play games against smaller teams or lower league teams or whatever, and it's cost them so much as well, again. Dico, is
1: this fair, they're the not caring, and Cass, I want to get you, because it always makes me a bit uncomfortable when we accuse people of not caring. I, I look at somebody like Joel Lescott, I, I mean, my reading is that it's not a question of him not caring, it's a question of him not being that good.
0: Those players are not playing regularly because they are less good. Um, in Richard's case and, and in Lescott's place. But the fact is that I guess also it's a fine balance between you, when you throw them in as a manager, you hope that, you know, this rare chance is going to invigorate that they're going to come in and with so much to prove. But actually, I guess in certain cases, these are guys who are thinking, well, I've not got much future at the club, you know, who, who am I proving it to? I think they're, 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 they're now feeling sort of a bit alienated. So they're, you know, the psychology is sort of tipped, tipped the wrong way. And I think, um, we could see that in, the, in you know in their defense in a sort of defensive flatness but also as we say we've seen you know Yaya Touré is one of those players who certainly can have days when he looks um he looks like it's a little beneath him um uh, and 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 as as Julian quite rightly says it's it, it is a a pattern that we've seen at city um and and under the two the two managers and and clearly um Quite, you know, quite how he kicks kicks that out of them the psychology of kicking that out is a is a is a is a good managerial test that that you know Pellegrini has has changed quite a few things since uh, since Mancini he's tried to be more inclusive he's tried to not banish players to the margins in the way that that Mancini did and unnecessarily so but he clearly quite hasn't quite tapped into to to whipping a uh, fervor out of them and uh, there's a certain obviously Chelsea manager who is Remains better at that than um, than his rivals.
1: Avram Grant, thanks you. Um, <laughs> Cass, can you just please help us understand? You played at a higher level than any of us, a far higher level. This whole not caring, this whole like psychological mindset. Hey, did, did you ever go to pitch when you really couldn't be bothered and said, "I'm not going to put in any effort today because I don't care"? Or did you have you ever, did you ever see any teammates do that?
2: Yes, teammates. Yes, um, sometimes. I've been guilty on the odd occasion. I've had my backside kicked for it. Don Howe questioned me when he was uh, at Chelsea with Ian Portfield.
1: But did you genuinely not care on the day? Or no, was it just I, you were hungover or um, you were... You know.
2: No, sometimes, look, Gab, if you were to select a team like Man City yesterday, you, I mean, my first person on the team sheet in a game like that would have been James Milner. Why? Because James will never, ever let you down. And I think that comes from the manager. You're already sending a message out to what was required against Wigan. You know, they're all, they're all good players, but sometimes you... When, when I could see myself falling short of what I was meant to be doing, I got a lot of stick and I got it from the terraces and I got it from players who I was playing with. That that then changed my mentality. Don Howe said to me at Cork Airport, I was injured, and I went on the tour, and I went out with the boys the night before uh, the, the night before we were leaving after our last game, and I and he said to me in the morning, um, how how hungry are you? And I went, I'm really hungry. He went, you're I've got your contract's up in a year, he said you went out last night, didn't you? And I said, well, yeah, I didn't play, but I had a couple of beers, Don, and I didn't. He said, why? Why was you out? You've got a lot to prove. You've had a couple of great moves. You've, you know, you've earned a lot of money in the last probably two or three years. Surely you should have something in your belly telling you that you're, you're, you know, last chance saloon. And it made me think, because I think, in football, sometimes you can get blasé, and success does bring failure in some levels, especially around finance. You know, once you've got that security of a great contract, and, and I think there's a little bit what Julian said about, say, someone like Yaya Toure, an incredible contractor, no question is a great player, and you could argue that about every City player. But there are certain people in dressing rooms that if they're allowed to be, and you don't keep the pressure on them, which certainly you could never accuse of a Mourinho's team doing they will not quite give enough. And not quite give enough can be the difference like it was for City against Wigan. Um,
0: I mean, I remember a Man United uh, player um, who may or may not be Gary Neville saying that Alex Ferguson always sort of wanted his defenders to be incredibly cold-minded, you know, good decision-makers above all. And Demichelis makes them very, for, you know, for a very experienced guy, makes them very erratic decisions. Um, so, you know, you just put that, you sort of, Cobble that defence together, and instantly there's a there's a wobble factor, isn't
1: there? Uwe Rosler, so he was he's at Brentford. He nearly gets promoted, suffers heartbreak, mm. jumps it to Wigan, and he's hit the ground running. Um, do you like the way Wigan plays?
2: Well, I love watching them under Martinez, and when they got relegated, I thought they were one of the best teams I'd seen go down. Certain individuals like. McManaman and then Maloney, I thought were exceptional players for them. Emerson Boyce at the back, not the greatest defender, but gives absolutely everything. It was a strange one because Owen Cole got it wrong, and I think Dave Whelan has to take a lot of credit because he recognised very quickly that it wasn't going to work under Owen Cole. He could see they were underachieving, so he made a big decision on Euro Rossler. And like he said, he had a big reputation. Matthew Benham at Brentford is no fool. There's, there's no doubt about that. He's really done his work, and you can tell by how Brentford have done since half after, after you. Although well, they've done
1: better since he left. Yeah, right? but. It, so maybe picking, he was part of the problem, not part of the solution. No, I, I think
2: he knows. He recognises good managers who are good thinking. And I mean, look. No, but
1: I'm saying, we, is he leaves? He leaves Brentford, and Brentford do yeah. even better without him.
2: Yeah, but I don't suspect there would have been a great difference from where they are. I think Jure Rossler had done an amazing job at Brentford as well and we're very unfortunate last year, Gab. But what you've got is a manager that's seen what he's got. He hasn't tried to change them too much. They're, they're a side that play to their, their maximum, I feel, when I've watched them. And, you know, you've got, to, you've got to say that I think Dave Whelan has done an amazing job selecting a guy that's seemingly turned the shit around very, very quickly from what they, that was the Wigan of last season. Which they weren't at the start of this season. They looked a completely different outfit from the team we saw go down. Now we seem to have turned it all back round. Now we see Wigan of what we saw last year.
1: Dico, you don't get to see obviously as much of Wigan as, as some people do, but does it look to you like last year's Wigan, or, 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 or I mean, compared to compared well, to Martinez? I mean, there's
0: been a bit of change in, in, in manpower, but I think the you know the shape, um, you know, he's he's as as Tony says, he's harnessed what was what was good about. The Martinez, we're going to certainly what's you know what's left given that he's lost a couple a couple of key players. Um, yeah, everything I've heard about Rossler is that he's the, the sort of perfect sort of well not perfect, but he's just the, he straddles very well the the sort of manager coach. You know, he's he's you know he can run a club. He's he's bright guy, but who also works very well on the training pitch. Got some clear ideas um, and works very well. You know, trying to improve individual players. So he's you know as you say he straddles manager coach very neatly. And as I say, he was. You know, this wasn't the only job that he was considered for because of you know, what it, what he was starting to do at Brentford and uh, yeah, a, 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 and everything about it. And, you know, he's he's he had a good reputation on a few clubs who were, were sort of looking at him and regarded him as sort of, you know, the, the guy on the rise that they were going to turn to next um, if they if they had a vacancy. Santi
2: Cazorla, Everton caught up field here, and Arsenal on the counter attack. Rositsky. Urzil, Giroud, good night and thank you. Arsenal are safely delivered into the semi-finals.
1: All right, enough Wigan. Let's move on to the Emirates. Arsenal and Everton. There were some people who were all doom and gloom about about the Gunners, and this was going to be another trophy-less season. And Giroud had, you know, gone off the rails, and Yaya was no good, and Özil was done. Would you like some humble pie,
3: Julien? <laughs> Is Wenger somehow vindicated by this? Uh, let's wait. A, let's wait a bit. I, it was a good win on Saturday. Um, I, I was there, and I, and I thought it was. I, th- I thought they played really well. It was a very good Everton team. The the, the score, the final score, doesn't reflect really the, the way the game went. But I think they played really well. Ozil was much better. Giroud came on and, and made a difference as well. You know, it looked like. You know, if they don't win it this year, they would never win ever a trophy ever again ever ever ever. So, uh, but still less wet with them psychologically. I still think that that team could struggle. You know, mentally, they're not as strong as as um, as they should be, and 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 especially what after, you know what happened. See, in that's the a good
1: question. So mentally, is not as strong because we always talk about mental strength. A lot of times we can't explain things, but. Which team is mentally stronger? Apart from Chelsea, I'm assuming you're going to say Chelsea are mentally stronger than, than yeah. Arsenal. But apart from them, who, who else is mentally stronger? Do you think in in the top six?
3: In in the league, you mean? Yeah. I, th- I think I think a team like um, like wh- what my my issue with with that this Arsenal team is the lack of leaders on that pitch. Imagine on Saturday that Everton went two went two one up instead of Arsenal. I don't know who on that pitch would have picked up the team, and and. And give them the momentum back to come back in that game, for example. And, and that, that's my issue. And that's, that's why I think mentally they're not as strong as, yeah, Chelsea. You know, if, even City in a way, not, maybe not after yesterday. But, yeah, but, you know, when, when they play, at, you know, when, when they, the, the, the strongest team is on. And, and, and I do think they've got more characters in their team uh, than, than, than Arsenal. Dicko,
1: were you, were you did you have your your Arsenal failure column already penned and or, i mean
0: <laughs> no i think i mean it's been a, uh, a season of, of that sort of threatened disaster before it even begun. obviously you know it's it's turned out to be a whole lot better than those sort of uh, doom laden predictions um uh, before Ozil was signed and uh after the Villa defeat on the, the opening day, and just the general general sort of undercurrent for the last few years, so it's it's it, it has this season whatever happens, and it almost uh, as you say looks odds on that it's going to finish with a, an, an Arsenal trophy, which in itself obviously will carry as much sort of symbolic significance as anything. You know, it, it this is going to end up as a good season for Arsenal, now whether it's
1: um, even if they finish. You've been try you, you, I mean, if, if they mean...
0: finish top four and with a, and have a trophy, then that's a heck of a lot better than last season or the season before that or the season before that. I, you know, I think, I think, but you know, I think Julian is right to, to flag up that that is absolutely no room for complacency. Um, you know, there's there's you know, the Oswald signing itself. We you know we're going to be able to argue long and hard about the 42 million. Just you know whether he is um, produced full value for money. I think the um, uh, as Julian says, the, the leadership, the, the the resilience in the top in the games against their, their championship rivals, how close they are actually to a a really credible title tilt, um, especially because Chelsea are only going to get better when they sign a top striker. So, look, you know, it's definitely definitely been a good year for Arsenal, especially as it seems likely they finish with the FA Cup. I don't think anyone can dispute that
1: have they already won the FA Cup given the way Dicko's talking Are you? is this a good year or do you still go back to the fact that if you spent the money <laughs> on another striker maybe another centre back to, to provide an alternative you might actually be top of the league right now
2: mm. their season is hanging on a really thin thread and I mean that by we're giving them the FA Cup they've still got two games to, to get there it's and win it's kind of it.
1: disrespectful isn't it
2: well it's and also I don't trust this Arsenal team As much as we can say they've had results, I don't trust them. And what Julian said and what Matt said, there's there's questions there. That look, Man United have been awful this year. That's allowed Arsenal to be far higher than they should have been with the failings of United. City are a side that should be ten points clear of Arsenal. And through I I feel I look
1: Chelsea as well.
2: Oh well, yeah. And you look at them, and I think it's going to be a massive march for Arsenal. And if they didn't win the FA Cup, and they just about make fourth place. I would have real serious reservations about Arsenal signing again, a new contract, three-year, whatever he's been offered, because I just feel that the Emirates is hanging really close to being a bad atmosphere. If you'd have been at the game with Bayern Munich, and they they, under, uh, they understood that they lost to a very good team, but the performance at Stoke and the way they played. Arsenal fans were furious with the way they, they'd gone about their business. And I don't really believe that we can look at a team that's going to achieve, you know, they could win the FA Cup by playing against sides that are far lesser sides than, they, than them themselves. But I wouldn't give it to I wouldn't give it to them at all because I, I'd still think that team, the core of that team, there's major question marks around whether they've got the character and the leadership because I I don't see it on a week-to-week basis. I think they've had a a lot of good performances and when they are good Arsenal shine and they can look exceptional the game against Everton at the weekend was really close it was so so close and ended up looking like a, a, clear, a real clear victory which it
0: wasn't well, I mean as, as Tony said there's no case for sort of I mean you know even if, you know, if they are at Wembley they do lift the trophy there's obviously there'll be triumphalism in, 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 in that symbolic victory but there's no there's no room for complacency and there's no room for sort of yeah, doing a great yaboo boo to the world because mm. the fact is that um, yeah, that that will just be a sort of a sign of one step back, and then, and certainly a, a, an awful long way to go before. You know, I mean, we should be judging Arsenal by, you know, competing for the biggest prizes in the game, and um, they're, they're, they're they're a way off still off the uh, the Premier League, never mind the Champions League.
1: Just to wrap this up, I mean, that's sort of a technical opinion here from your cast because I, I I've praised Gareth Barry all season. I think he's you know I think he's been a great bit of business. Um, I, I thought they were very clever the way, you know, they, they got him basically for nothing. it has been a calming influence. And then I see that that tackle. I, I'm just wondering, how does somebody at his age all of a sudden, like, <laughs> you just get so uncoordinated and do something like that? And, and that really did change the game, didn't it? Mm-hmm. I yeah, mean, it did, it, yeah. it, it, you know, without that, we might be having a different conversation right now. It, does it just happen sometimes? I mean, I've, everybody makes mistakes, God mm-hmm. forbid. But that's not the kind of mistake... I would associate with Gareth Barry. I would associate Gareth Barry making a mistake where somebody runs past him and he can't catch him, mm. or or when he miscontrols a ball or something like that. I don't associate that kind of mental error with him.
2: Gabby's made a few rash challenges, and you can, like you say, you can sort of accept that that sometimes happens in the game. But it was, it was. I, I, how do I explain it? When I because as I got older. Yes, things became a little bit more difficult as I was the game. You'd make things, you, you that's such a, it's such a microsecond difference. But is it fair to say that as you not. get
1: older, you presumably make fewer mental mistakes and more mistakes because your body's just not as good. Well, right?
2: I, I found as I got older, one thing that stood out for me, I used my body far differently than I did when I was younger. And, I always noticed, and I don't want to generalise, but the Brazilians were incredible about using their body strength and how they could keep you away from the ball by just getting in the line of where you, the, the opponent was trying to get to. And I think as I got older, I got a bit smarter in as in not losing the ball, purely being able to protect it. But if you as you obviously, as the legs go slightly, if you get it slightly wrong, you can look, like you said, <laughs> ungainly.
3: It seems that like he lost his bearing. He yeah. didn't know where Oxlade-Chamberlain was, where the ball was, where he was, which way the goal was. And well, he, he was just very like,
2: afraid, Julian. Yeah. Because obviously Oxlade-Chamberlain, a young kid, he's got an electric pace. He got a little bit of fight and he knew that he was in trouble. And with that, he's tried to get himself in a position to stop Oxlade-Chamberlain and get there. And then it looks like it did, you know, awkward. Yeah.
1: Moving on to our debate. We touched upon this last week, but we're delighted to have Dickel here to discuss this properly and not just... Rory Smith, as you probably know, the FA uh, created their own commission to uh, go and help English football. Uh, it's a novel idea because they've never created commissions and committees like this before, and they've never had root and branch reviews or anything like that. Anyway, the Times decided to have their own commission, uh, and I'm right, uh, Dicko. You, you you were one of the um, um, well,
0: call me Commissioner Dickinson from now on, please. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> we have Commissioner Commissioner Dickinson, Assistant Commissioner K, and um, Foot Soldiers. Uh, Matt Hughes and Rory K. Smith. Uh, seriously, it's, it's a really, I thought, really interesting, well-reported series of of articles running from um, Friday of two weeks ago to Wednesday of last week. Um, there's a whole YouTube, Google hangout with it. But, Dick, I want to take advantage of the fact that you're here with us. Uh, there were four broad suggestions that came out of it. I just want to go through them, get some input here. One of the suggestions is for the Football Association to double its annual investment in grassroots facilities to pounds, 24 million, and to make increases in funding for coach education. Now, um, I was a little bit confused, Dicko, about this because I read the story and then it included the FA's response. And they,
3: As you're
0: listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming
3: up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. So to help us, we brought in a
2: reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a
1: thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, I bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15
3: bucks a month. Sold. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch.
1: $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows Full terms
3: at mintmobile.com.
1: Say that they're spending more than 100 million actually on this. And uh, no other football association in the world spends as much money as they do. Uh, so, two questions for you: A, is this true? And B, if they're spending more than everybody else in the world, uh, then maybe the problem isn't the amount of money they're spending, but the fact that they're hiring a bunch of numpties and incompetents.
0: Well, it's, to, 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 it's a big, it's a big subject, but I mean the, the, the main points to be made are that one, the uh, that there is a lack of municipal uh, funding for. I mean most pitches are owned by, um, local councils and that, uh, the funding for that is in their discretionary spend. So obviously when times are tough and perhaps even when times aren't tough, the obvious thing to start cutting back is, is, you know, do you actually put some half decent, uh, dressing rooms on that council pitch or do you just leave it to rot as it is? Do you go and build a nice new, uh, 3G pitch that's usable 24 seven and, um, uh, keeps our you know, kids playing when it's the, the whole of Britain is waterlogged, um, or, or do you, you know, spend that money on something else? And, and obviously, a lot of the time is being spent on something else. So there is a there is a sort of overall funding problem there. But to, to boil this down to football's issue, I mean, it is it's one of those things that we sort of know about, and then occasionally we do a series like this, and I think it's why it's so worthwhile. It reminds you of the just how sort of upside down the world can get sometimes the fa have a turnover of around three just over 300 million of that they give about a third which is about 100 million um, my math tells me to sort of back into the game now of that almost half um 43 million goes to the professional game um an awful lot of it obviously through fa cup prize money and uh, broadcast um, fees and so on now you know, uh, it's one of those figures to say that's just sort of been there for for some years now, and we sort of I don't know, we just ignore about it, ignore it, forget about it. But you you know, you suddenly get sort of brought back to it and go, hang on a minute. So the FA, you know, which is there to 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 fund the game and 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 obviously to pay for the coach development and to 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 um, you know, nurture the grassroots, is giving. Uh, an awful lot of money um, back to you know. For example, if Arsenal do win the, the FA Cup, as we're talking about, Arsenal will take about four million quid of FA money, and at the same time, the FA puts only twelve million total into into facilities, um, much needed facilities. Now you, you say this the, that is clearly bonkers. Ian Watmore, a former FA chief executive, decided to sort of take on that figure, just say, "Hang on a minute, this is crazy." Um, the professional game should not be taking this vast sum of, of much needed FA funds and uh, that explains why he lasted about five minutes in the building
1: Alright, so obviously Julian, there's no counter-argument that if Arsenal didn't get 4 million pounds for playing the FA Cup that they would go and oh look there's no money in it we're not interested we're going to go and, and, and we're going to play uh, a bunch of those like numpties with French names that we've never heard of playing in the <laughs> no, Arsenal No, that's true.
3: For, I mean, for me the, the grassroots problem in this country is about structure my my son is turning five in May. If you know, we live in North London. If you want to find a club for him to play and train in Barnet. Midweek, for example, yeah, but yeah, I mean, if you want to, where he trains in Midweek and plays, you know, some some little games to have fun on the weekends. you me as one of
1: the can you say one of those psycho athlete parents? Like no, my no, no, son is no, turning no. five. He needs the club to train. Like no no no. no, no. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's about <laughs> it's structure.
3: Crazy. No, it's about structure. In France, wherever you live, if you live in Paris, if you live rest in the country, you've got a club. Almost everywhere. Everywhere. In a small town, in a big town, in an arrondissement, in a, in your in your neighborhood. You've got club everywhere where you can start at four. You train with your usually your school friends or whatever. You play some some little games and then you go on when you're six, seven, and, and then you start playing more competitive football later, and and if you're good, then you get you get spotted by bigger clubs, and you go to an academy and Julian.
0: Can I just uh, this is yeah. a, this is a crucial point, isn't it? That those local clubs. I mean, and mm. correct me if I'm horribly wrong, which which is often the case, is that they, there is a lot more municipal exactly st- setup and structure and funding and yeah you know, um, organisation around those clubs, isn't it? I mean, Britain has relied on this volunteer culture for. Yeah, you know, for for decades now, that's the whole roots of our game. Whereas in in France, Germany, and so on, there is a lot more municipal structure to the whole sporting system.
3: Here, the the culture is different. You know, you you play for your school. We don't play for school for your school in France. There's no football in in our schools in France. You play for your local team.
0: But there is a huge erosion of the state system. Yeah, you know, down right. to down to nothing in 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 okay, terms I, of sport I, in this country.
1: I, I, we we all see the benefit of I, I would hope of. of kids doing doing sport and in their spare time and having structures to do it. Cass, I want to know from you, though, how much does it really impact on the professional game? Because to me, there's a bit of a disconnect here, right? When we talk about grassroots facilities and being as inclusive as possible, and, mm. and you know, it's not just, let's face it, those young boys are the ones who are going to play for England in the future. It's obviously mm. also women. It's also, you know, overage people. It's, it's physically challenged people. We all want these structures for them to go and do sport, but mm. Then we go and we judge the FA on how much England has won. Because I, I, when, I made, when I I wrote a blog about this last week, when the first question, when I said, look, you guys really aren't doing that badly, and they're like, oh, when's the last time we won a major trophy? As if winning a major trophy means everything's fine with your system. Mm. And, and, and the reverse. I mean, is it really that important, or should the money actually, rather than having a billion 3G pitches all over the place – You know, should the money be spent on taking like the top 1,000 footballers per age group Mm. in England and making sure that those guys are looked after if your goal is to produce more English players?
2: One of my biggest problems I've always felt is that there is this thing on numbers. We always have to have so many. If you look at clubs and I mean, I hear all the time clubs are taking a huge amount of numbers of players just so someone else can't get them. And that's very common. I mean, I've looked at the academies and I've seen how they carry on. They only must play against other academy sides. And Gab, the biggest change in me, I always I think when I talk about football, I always think of things that I did in my career and things that I benefited. And obviously, I played in France for six years and I saw, which I believe and I still stay to this day, I saw kids playing the games on the pitches before matches. And I used to think how unbelievably gifted they are at this age. I'm talking 9, 10, 11. Watch them regularly. I used to think they're so smart. And I might have been biased because now I'm there watching. I forgot how good kids can be in England. Right. But I, I did see a difference in technique, totally in technique. And one thing I've always said that I feel one thing we fail miserably on is our coaching. Not, I don't mean as a team, as taking a group t- training session. I don't believe we're coaching people individually, which I, I did. To myself and then I took a coach in Marseille, had a guy work with me, just me, all my strengths, work to my weaknesses and I think we don't, we haven't got there yet where we're going at a football club or even at youth level where we work on individuals instead of doing all one training session I think we've got to try and get to the one-on-one situation. Because you can put a team together, you can construct a team, but that's further down the line. I think one-on-one is the biggest difference I, I noticed in me and I saw far more common in France than I did in England.
1: Amen. Amen to all that as well. Right, the, the, the next suggestion here, the Premier League to tighten its quote, homegrown players ruling, requiring each club to include a minimum of 10 homegrown players in a 25-man squad list. Uh, right now it's eight, I believe, uh, and to have at least six it's so all numbers, Gab. It's so all numbers. <laughs> yeah, again. this is
0: where I mean. If yeah, I think this I, is kind of silly. This yeah. is where I start to. Um, I mean, um, far be it from me to um, distance myself from the um of my own newspaper. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, we, you know, we, we kicked all this around, and this is you know why the debate is hopefully um, interesting is is that you know there are so many different views. I mean, I I, I, you know, I can understand the case for. for for quotas, even if you know they can't be as prescriptive as as um, because of EU rules um, about nationality, but I I I, I don't want to waste too much time on it. I actually think we need to concentrate on improving the standard of of the players we have. We need to concentrate on why we don't produce you know the right type of players, why we don't produce number tens, why we don't produce enough creative, daring mm-hmm. players. So while I think there is a, you know clearly a, a, a discussion has to be had about quotas, I, I regard it as sort of almost a, des- a desperate measure because we failed at everything else
2: I just want to add to what Matt, and Matt said there when we look and we look at certain positions, the number 10 how big and important the number 10 position has been in world football for all other countries, you tell me a number 10 that we've, got, we've seen in England we've gone, wow, that guy's going right. to be driven, that's going to drive the team forward and I just don't see that.
0: We emphasise a certain type of play in the game, and it needs to be tipped and tilted to a, to a different emphasis. That's the key it 's not about you know, getting rid of something for the other. it's just about tilting the emphasis. I mean, Julian will back me up on this 100 percent, and um, you know, this, this, this culture is right through every team. It's down at eight. it's even through the blinking press team. I mean, we go and the mm-hmm. England press team plays foreign opponents And, um, and as Julian um, knows from having weaved all around us um, like the skillful player he is. Even the English press team is rudimentary and basic and runs around very hard, and I'm very guilty of this, and does it with far less skill than every single one of our foreign opponents.
3: I have to agree with that. No, just on the number 10, I think Ross Barkley was outstanding on Saturday in the number 10 role just behind Lukaku. And I know Matt put debate a bit on on Twitter about Roy Hodgson would be completely stupid not to take him to Brazil, and I I completely agree. And if he doesn't go to Brazil... who plays in that role. Sorry, but,
2: but he doesn't do it very well. Does it, Gab? Whenever you look at Rooney, I come. He's ended up playing everywhere
1: on the football field,
2: not number ten. And he was allowed to do that in the last international. I was laughing as I'm watching the game. He thinking, has a
1: free role. It's a modern no. game. Come on, lay out, lay out, Come on. But yeah, Ross, Ross is
3: is outstanding, and I'm sure I can find him a French grandma if if he doesn't go to the World <laughs> Cup of <in> England.
1: <laughs> okay, I gotta ask you about this next one, Dicko, because it sounds like something a politician might write.
0: I in that case, I didn't write it.
1: A comprehensive review of the loan system and exploration of the possibilities raised by formal affiliations or partnerships between Premier League clubs and those in lower divisions to try to overcome the, quote, blockage, unquote, faced by young players after turning professional. I can cast, translate wake up. that if you like. Sorry?
0: <laughs> I can translate that if you like.
1: Yeah, basically he's talking about, let's go and talk about this some more and explore these possibilities. Feeder
0: cl- it's basically talking about feeder clubs and the, and obviously the loan system. It's basically asking the question of, A, the loan system is used and abused you know, It's far more than it should, should be. It's, it's, there, there's too much of it, simple as that. And um, uh, we also need to discuss the fact that the Premier League clubs, and not just the top few clubs, are pushing hard behind the scenes um, to see if they could be allowed some kind of feeder system now. Greg Dyke will not be the first FA chairman to knock um knock down the pyramid structure. No, you know, he won't he won't be that bold and brave and you know we we have our 92 club system and um you know we're, we're going to keep it um for certainly for the the long foreseeable future. But is there a way, you know, we already know that Tottenham have uh sort of understanding, shall we say, with Swindon Town where they they loan players to them. Is there a way that that could be more formalised while keeping the loan system? Basically, it's, a, it's, it's one thing that this commission keeps coming back to, or ours and the FAs, is what happens when you have talented 16, 17, 18-year-olds and then they seem to struggle to get into the Premier League first teams. The Premier League first teams average 25, 26 years old. That actually number is actually going up. It's the blockage um, that we've been looking at and obviously we're trying to work out whether... The loan system, obviously, which works for some but fails for others. The feeder system, can it be done? And the Premier League are proposing this new Premier League 2, which will be an under-23 league, which they think will enhance the failing under-21 league and will act as the perfect bridge from the sort of academies to the first team. And we need to work out whether that's just a rebranding exercise or whether it's, it's serious.
1: I might suggest that this is beyond stupid, this Premier League 2 team, because all it would do is just increase the squad sizes um, of the biggest clubs. It would drive up costs. You know that they're just going to stalk the under-23 team -hmm. with a bunch of French guys and people from, you know, (laughs) and as a result, a lot of good players who are getting their shot in the lower leagues, uh, on loan perhaps, won't be getting them. Because they'll be playing in empty stadiums in the uh, in, in the PL in the, the PL two, I think the loan system's fine. I like maybe explore other things like co ownership.
3: Yeah, I mean, th- they love they love a loan in this country, don't they? they, have, you, they you've got like a special loan yeah, but, window for the championship clubs. You but can don't go do in it in one leagues.
1: month. Enough of this like one month loan. Like, it's why ridiculous. not have a have a season long loan? Exactly. Look at some form of co ownership where, where where you benefit based on the player's development. Inevitably, you will loan players to clubs where you like the coaching staff or you have some affinity, right?
3: I completely agree with you. Those loan month loans or like weeks loans stuff like it's just I think it's ridiculous. And I don't I don't know why why, why is it Dico, that they allowed you know the, the, the Premier League and even you know the the Football League allows those kind of you know those kind of things. You can even go lower leagues and just you know just be on loan for two games or five games. It's just ridiculous.
1: Now the last point is something that where I completely agree with Oli mid-season break for the Premier League made possible by scrapping FA Cup replays, two League Cup semi-finals. And if necessary, considering reducing the league from twenty clubs to eighteen, I can tell you it is necessary. Reduce the league from twenty clubs to eighteen. Get rid of this other tripe and have a mid-season break. What say you, Dicko? Um,
0: I, I agree with it, provided, uh, provided we are reducing the number of games. I mean, you can't have a mid-season break unless unless you are, because obviously you're just going to be cramming um, the same amount of fixtures into even less time. I, I personally, mid-season break will will help. But uh, you know, we just outlined you know, these massive cultural. Um, problems that we've been talking about and it do- doesn't make those go away so it's it's you know it, it 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 may help slightly freshen up um some of our players for a, a big tournament but i you know it's it's um it's a pretty small change when we're talking about the scale of um of problems that we discussed before
1: and Julian, the great thing about a mid-season break uh, is that it would allow clubs uh, to to go on tour Qatar. and pursue more of those. <laughs> exactly, because <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> they, they, they continue to establish those as, as, as uh, global brands yeah. and then pursue all those lucrative opportunities in, uh, in in the Far East and the Gulf.
3: Exactly. I mean. You know, boxing day is, is magical. Is all of that is brilliant. I like it. Everybody likes but it. But wouldn't it? Be, wouldn't it be much better to go and play a friendly against Al Ahly? No, Rafa? but you can still do boxing there. You can play on the first of Jan, like like. But play, but play in Abu Dhabi, and then no, one get then get three weeks off in January. Who well, no one cares about January anyway. Well, Gary,
0: and Gary Jacob can just fill the paper with transfer that's Yeah, that's good. Exactly. We can all go and hold
3: it. And a few clubs who are knocked out in the the FA Cup early. Go there anywhere for a week of training or something. So you know, may as well do it properly and warm in the weather rooms.
0: training. I think is there, and it's compulsory. I think it's obviously necessary that the journalist should go Hello. out and report on warm weather training.
1: All right, enough of this. Uh, but we, 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 you can go online. You can comment. As I said if you've got uh, some time, it, it is it is actually pretty good. Ollie K moderates and uh, and presents and tries to keep uh, uh, Dicko and um, Rory K under control. Um, so go check it out. Alright, time for some quick hits. Hull City beat Sunderland to advance to a Wembley semifinal against Sheffield United who overcome Charlton. Cass, you showed some love for Curtis Davis in your inquest. Yeah. Any shot he might get Hodgson's attention?
2: Probably too late. He wasn't in the 30-man squad. Um, but give, given how humdrum the England centre-halves are, why not? Hmm. He's certainly a far better player, a more accomplished player, Curtis Davis, than he was two or three years ago where there was always, I always felt a, a mistake in him. Um, I thought his performance and I looked at Steve Bruce and thought, I played with Brucey at Gillingham and I saw him mature and get far better. The player he was at Gillingham, obviously, and he ended up at Old Trafford and his ability to leap and head. And So a bit of that in Curtis Davis. I thought he'd, he's, he's in a, a side that really is a championship back four, but I thought he led it brilliantly against Sunderland. And I thought he's a real improving centre half. And i tell you what, sometimes people get better in the latter ages and the, the years in football. And I think he's one of them.
1: Speaking of Roy Hodgson, Dicko, uh, what did you learn about England after a friendly with Denmark last Wednesday? And by the way, feel free uh, to chime in on our campaign for to get Curtis Davis in the England team.
0: <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Curtis Davis, he's, well, I guess we're down to Corker and Dawson as a standby, so he, you know, he could probably join that list. Um, what did we learn? We learned uh, that Lalana's not just on the plane but pushing hard for the team. We learned that Sturridge doesn't like it if he's moved away from number nine Um, and I think he I mean clearly he's thriving um, as a central striker but you know he's got to remember to a bit of versatility isn't uh, isn't harmful for a player I think there was a massive overreaction to Rooney's poor first half the idea I saw floated by a few of my colleagues that England should look beyond Rooney now I found um, pretty daft and I think we learned that Ashley Cole can't be written off just yet Um, I think that's a a fascinating little three-way battle with him, Baines and Shaw uh, and to be honest um, you know, I think there are question marks against all of them um, Baines included and, and as, if, if I'm picking a squad tomorrow I do not lightly jettison Ashley
1: Cole Samuel Eto <laughs> scores his 300th career goal at club level and impersonates an old man with lumbago as Chelsea defeats Spurs 4-0. Julian, you have 25 seconds to reflect on Samu's greatness.
3: I think at his age, because he's closer to 40 than to Stop. 30, actually, he's, he's really good, and, and we saw how sharp he was on the first goal after the Vertonghen mistake, for example, and, and maybe not at his best, obviously, and, and his best years behind him, but still very, very, very useful striker and, uh, and doing well for Chelsea.
1: Tim Sherwood mixes it up with Kyle Walker on the right wing, at least initially. Aaron Lennon through the middle and not a single summer signing in the lineup. He says, quote, top fair ain't gonna happen and his players are gutless. Cass, do you say it's a bit of a double standard when uh, AVB said something less... Uh, accusatory of his players and also what responsibility if any does Tim bear in all this
2: a lot because Tim's been given an opportunity and I think initially took the job he he changed things quite dramatically and getting added by Bajoran and played Soldado alongside him quite quickly it's gone a little bit away from that at the moment and I, I didn't quite get Lennon's role because I completely lost what he was trying to do on the pitch Aaron Lennon or what he's asked to do Carl Walker pushing him forward didn't suit him at all but he struggled um, it was a close game for a while for probably for for probably just about half time. It was pretty even, although Chelsea did have some chances. Um Tim's never made a sign in at a football club. And I now believe that Tottenham's probably the biggest reconstruction of the Premier League because as you said all the money, 93 million, was spent. No one was in the lineup. Yes, some injuries, and yes, some on international duty, but not to have anybody involved in the starting lineup it says a lot where Tottenham are as a club.
1: Manchester United roll over West Brom 3 0. Dicko Davy Moy sent a letter to season ticket holders, thanking them for their support and urging them to have faith. Uh, was this a sign of Moy's strength or of Moy's weakness?
0: Um, I think it was probably a sign of sort of P.S. Please don't go. Uh bananas at me and the team if we uh, if we lose some very, very big games coming up I mean the fact is that uh, they have Liverpool at home, they have the return against Olympiacos um, I think they have West Ham away and then City back at home and those are four games that are, well potentially could break Moyes. I, I, I don't think it will happen, I hope it doesn't happen but um, you know you just imagine how um, mutinous the mood could get if they're being um, outplayed and um, tonked at home by uh, by Liverpool and City and knocked out of the Champions League. I think that Olympiacos defeat, the way they played, it seemed to just sort of tip a lot of the fans. I think yeah, they'd been following Fergie's instructions to, to get behind Moyes. they have been bit patient. But I think just the manner of that defeat, certainly from the feedback I've had, um, just say basically strained the patience too far. And I think um, there's just some huge games coming up. And uh, Moyes is just trying to, himself a little bit of uh, a little bit more time
1: Southampton when at palace and Adam Lallana steals the show Julien I think we can consider him an England regular
3: now put him in context if he were french would he be going to the world cup oh yeah we would have him every day i mean he must be a bit french he plays with too much flair to be english anyway but <laughs> You, yeah, you, Lallana
1: and Ribery. Why wide you like yeah, that? Yeah. yeah,
3: Benzema in the centre, Pogba yeah. behind. Yeah, I like that. But yeah, actually, all you need is Pogba. You don't need anybody else. <laughs> True, maybe. But yeah, he's he's English, so you have him. So make the most of it. You know, start him and and enjoy him because I think he's a very special talent. I just wonder why it took so long for people to notice. Yeah. Gab, one for you. Major League Soccer kicked off this past weekend in the States. Are they excited? They are excited. There's one of
1: those polls, uh, and by the way, it's another category people don't like, pollsters who use weird metrics to approve whatever they like, which shows that in, I think, in the uh, 12 to 21 age group, the game is actually more popular than baseball, uh, supposedly, marginally. Um, But the interesting thing is that all of a sudden they're spending some real cash. They spent a lot of money to get Clint Dempsey back, obviously spent a lot of money on Michael Bradley. I suspect the way things are going with your mate uh, Josie Altidore, they'll be spending maybe some money uh, to get Josie Altidore back. It's a curious choice that clubs are making, but they do have some serious money, and it's obviously giving DeFoe a lot of money as well. And um, you almost wonder if uh, they aren't reaching some kind of tipping point. Thank you so much. You've been a tremendous audience. Thanks to my guests this week. It's Julian Lawrence. It's Tony Cascarino. And from beautiful downtown Mortlake, it's Matt Dickinson. Now, a quick reminder that you can download the second half of our special live show from Liverpool later this week. It has a strong scouse contingent, and several of them, especially Peter Reed, are extremely funny. We're all on Twitter, so we'd love to hear from you. And we write back to each and every one of you individually. No, not really, but when we have time, we try to interact. Remember also the Times Goals app. It's the first place to see the goals unless you're actually at the games. So next week, bye-bye.
0: Your subscription to the Times and the
2: Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away.
0: Hi, I'm Tim Montgomery, the presenter of another Times podcast from the opinion pages called Did You Read? It's the perfect weekly snapshot of some of the best writing in the newspaper. Find out more by heading to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central and search Did You Read to subscribe on iTunes.